Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right now, though, Buttes, Kerry Pothast, OAM, gold medalist from Sydney 2000. Now, you've heard some of this interview. It's on my podcast, The Perfect Ten, and the episode coming out maybe in the next week. But what are your thoughts? Uh, we start where she talks about winning bronze in Atlanta, but how the mindset has to change. Yeah, and I love the way that, you know, and we'll hear this uh, as the uh, as it plays out. We're very fortunate to have an Olympic gold medalist, first of all, to actually, you know, talk about that journey. Um, and, um, you know, that insight where, you know, the the game plan that they put together going into the Olympics and how they were going to approach it was so methodical, so detailed. It wasn't just about playing beach volleyball. There was a whole lot more to it. Uh, and what they did to get to that level was absolutely phenomenal, including talking to other athletes about what it was like playing in front of uh, a big home crowd. So um, I'm looking forward to this uh, interview, Steve. It's going to be fantastic. And to get the whole lot of it is, you know, on the perfect 10. It's about an hour, but we've just got a little snippet here, but it's well worth it. Yeah, and we start with Kerry. Uh, so she talks about they won bronze in Atlanta. So it's the first time beach volleyball has been held and they were playing so well, but I asked Kerry, did she feel like they could have gone back-to-back in both Atlanta and Sydney? You kind of have to have those moments where things are in your control or in your grasp and then you, you lose them or you, you fail to reach a goal and that just gives you the, the learnings that you need then to go forth and, and get the one that you're probably destined for, which is what how it felt for us. So coming off the back of Atlanta, I mean, obviously winning a, a bronze is pretty special because you lose the semi and then you win your last game and you're standing on the podium. So bronze medalists are often happier in our sport than the silver medalists Yeah, because yeah. you've come off with a win, right? So coming off the back of Atlanta, we, we'd learnt so much and we knew that the missing piece was not necessarily just going to be physical or strategic, which we still worked on all the time. It was really going to be about the mental side of the game. So um, within a couple of years, we we got a, a success coach on board. Natalie met him. We had a little time apart, Natalie and I, um, because we got a little bit cocky about having won a medal and we thought we were great and we started to blame each other and then we looked around for different options and I I decided I wanted to play with somebody else to give it a go and that worked worked well on the court but off the court was really difficult we just didn't gel at all personality wise so Natalie and I got back together and then when I got back together with her she'd met our success coach already Um, his name is Kirik Ashley and she brought him on board and he made the difference for the last year and a half leading into the games, really helping us with that belief. Yeah. Wow. What an answer. Uh, What kind of things did he implement to change your game? Well, first of all, he realized in Natalie that she needed to stop worrying about what people thought um, and become more, uh, less self-conscious and and just more courageous and, and just be who she was. Um, and that was what he started working on with her and her partner that when we were split up in that short time. And then when I came back together with her, um, he then saw that he really needed to work on our teamwork. 
and we put together a plan. You know, we, we went away with our volleyball coach and our conditioning coach and we put together a plan that we ended up calling Gold Medal Excellence and that was like our business plan. And in that, it included uh, our purpose. You know, we had to really dig into why we wanted to win a gold medal, what it was going to mean to us, and then um, our code of conduct. So what, we, what rules were we going to put around ourselves as individuals and as a team, um, around our communication and the way we related to each other, the respect that we had for each other, and those rules would get us to where we wanted to go. And then there was a, a component that w we called our winning way. And that was all about the things we had to do to beat every team in the world, because we kind of knew the pathway would lead to playing the Brazilian number one team in the world in the final, because we kind of knew what seeding we were going to get. So by making sure that we could beat them, in fact, that would then help us beat everybody else. So we had certain components around the the, the game that we knew we had to be good enough at to beat everyone in the world. And then the last component of that plan was all around who we were. So who did we have to be? You know, what type of people, what characteristics did we then need to be the best in the world at our sport? And so we looked around us and looked at other sports people that were the top of their, lev their game, but also business people, and just went, what characteristics do these people have? that make them the best at what they're doing. And we pulled out all those and we kind of put those characteristics that we thought that suited us and that we needed and we put them in the plan. And then we laminated that plan. It was set in Olympic rings. Um, so again, it was visual and colorful. We laminated it and we signed it like a contract. We called it our gold medal excellence plan because what we knew we had to do to get the gold medal, we had to you live our lives as if we were gold medalists in the lead up. So we had to act like gold medalists, train like gold medalists, think like gold medalists. So by the time the opportunity came along, we already felt comfortable in that environment. Obviously you play a team that had an unbelievable record in the final, but I want to know about the senses. So you mentioned about walking up the ramp in Atlanta and that's so powerful. And then what are your senses like in Sydney? What is different to you from the outset? The thing was that by the time we got to Sydney, we were comfortable with it being different. And this is the most important part. We learned how to be uncomfortable because no one knew what it was going to be like playing in Sydney. No athlete could have had any experience of a home games because it hadn't been, you know, they hadn't played in 56, for instance, or they hadn't competed back then in Melbourne. So that they just we just didn't know what it was going to be like playing at home. So that, for one, it was the biggest difference. And having your family and your friends so close, knowing that they're all in the, the stands and everyone's just cheering for you, like in Bondi, 10,000 people cheering for you was incredibly loud. But when you lost a point or made a mistake, they all felt sorry for you. So that, oh, it's just as loud. So it's the emotional roller coaster that was really, really different. Um, and that really hits you in the heart. And, and we actually nearly lost our first match because of that, because we, we felt so connected and responsible to the crowd that we felt like we were letting them down when we were losing points. So we had to deal with that as, as the games went on and we, we did a couple. So we talked to a sports psych, we talked to some other athletes who perhaps were used to coming home to a home crowd, like the tennis players were the only sport really we could think would come home to a home crowd. So we actually went into the village, we hooked up a meeting with them and we sat down with Leighton Hewitt, 
kids and just talk to them about what it was like coming home. Pat Rafter, um, you know, and playing in front of a home crowd and they gave us kind of some tips and tricks and Pat left me with something that I did take on and, and kind of it grew on me as, as the games progressed. And by the time we got to the final, Pat said to me, it's almost like you have to build a little cocoon of silence around yourself. You know, the crowd is there and you kind of feel that energy, but you can't focus on it. You, you can't let your focus go out into the crowd. So for me, the way I, I dealt with that, it was almost like, remember in Get Smart, you know, they would have the cone of silence. <laughs> I love the cone of silence. And that was kind of like the cone of silence. I hadn't really named it. I hadn't thought of it like that, but it, I, I started to be able to just kind of sense the crowd, hear the crowd, but not be, not really tune into them. And I was just tuned into Natalie. I really came together with Natalie and everything was just on our side of the court. And I was also connected to what was happening on the other side of the court. I didn't know where my family was. I didn't know where the coaches were because um, we're not allowed coaches on the court. So they're, they're in, you know, somewhere in the crowd. I didn't know where anyone was sitting because I was so focused on what was happening in the court. So when I watched that, the video of the last point landing out, I, I served a big serve. Um, they weren't able to control. It was going over on our side. I chased it to the sideline. And as that ball was landing out, you know, Natalie was screaming towards me as in, saying, you know, yelling out, leave it or it's out or something because she knew it was going out. But I, I kind of just instinctually went to it anyway. I let it drop. And at that moment that it dropped, I dropped to the ground and it was like that cone of silence that shattered all around me. And I could hear literally everybody screaming and Natalie was on top of me and it, it was just like my senses just came alive and I was almost I stayed on the ground for a bit and she's kind of saying get up get up you know celebrate with the crowd and I was almost too scared to look up because I knew everyone was looking at me and I still have this sense of being you know I'm not really comfortable with being the center of attention <laughs> to believe believe it or not but I had to I had to become comfortable with it. So the moment that the game was finished, I really didn't I wasn't comfortable there for for you know a few minutes until I got up and you know and realized what we had achieved and you know then then I relished in it and absolutely loved it every moment. Yeah, yeah. And I know you've spoken about it a lot before, but uh, so the team you beat were was their record 17 and 1 against you guys? Yeah. Yes, it was 17 matches we'd played in the lead-up apparently had been counted, but one has, is all we had beaten them, and that was three months leading in, three months before the Olympics we'd beaten them, and then the next weekend at the very next event in another country, they beat us back, right back. So <laughs> we just had that one win to kind of give us the last piece of belief, I guess. And, you know, but the belief for us was not through the experience of beating them. It was through everything that we'd done in the lead-up, all the work that we'd done, the, the crazy things, the glass walking, the fire walking, the um, blindfolded rock climbing as a team, you know, all the things to put us out of our comfort zone. So by the time we were in uncomfortable situations, it was okay. You know, it, we didn't falter. We didn't, we didn't get scared. We just took it on and um, the Brazilians were leading the whole entire, like we played the best of three sets. We won in the first two sets. They were leading both sets by a, a big uh, point lead, four or five points. So we just had to kind of keep digging our heels in. And it was almost like there was a moment where the Brazilians, you know, they're, they're winning, they're winning, they're celebrating, they're feeling good. You know, they know that they're probably going to win. They're thinking that they know they're probably going to win because they're the best team, you know, on paper and they've beaten us so many times. But 
you know, then these Australian girls just kept on coming back all the time. And, and you could almost see on their faces that at one point it was like, when are these girls going to give up and let us win? And we didn't. And we just kept coming back, coming back. And we just pipped them at the post, you know, the one point and two points in each set over the top of them. And, and the set was done. And they, I think they, they were in a little bit of shock for a while. They just didn't really know what happened. Whereas we just never let it go. We just went, no, this is what we've been working towards. This is what our mindset has been telling us that this is, we believe we can do this and we're just going to keep going. We're not going to stop. We're not going to just believe that, that they're the better, better team. This is our day. And the funny thing is a couple of days after that, we were being interviewed by somebody and the journo said, did you sleep much the night before the final? And Natalie said, no, I hardly slept at all. And I looked at her and said, oh, God, I didn't either. But we were both trying to stay quiet so the other one would get some sleep. But we were so excited. You know, we weren't worried. We were excited this time. And um, the journo asked Nat and said, well, what were you thinking about all night? And she said, I was practising my victory speech. And I just gasped and looked at her and said, so was I. <laughs> So we were both lying there thinking about what we were going to do after we'd won the gold medal. And to me, that just showed that we were in a place of absolute belief. There was nothing that was going to rock our belief that day. Uh, For our listeners who haven't seen volleyball, what speed do you serve at? Uh, I'm sure you've been clocked on the radar gun. Yeah, I was the fastest server in Atlanta, uh, the first Olympics at I think it was 84 maybe or 82 kilometres an hour, and then I upped it by Sydney, I think it was 80, well, it was 85 or 87, one or the other, I can't remember now, but I was definitely the fastest server of my time back then, and that was most definitely one of our weapons, and I served an ace in the second to last point, and then I, then I kind of, I thought, I'm not going to back off the pressure, I'm just, I served an ace down the line, like on the line for a winner, and then I thought, no, I'm going to just reduce my risk a little bit, and I'm going to go through the middle of the court, um, but with the same pace. And so it's that thought and it's that confidence at that point, at a match point for a gold medal to serve just as hard, but with a little bit less risk, those decision-making things, that can only happen when you have that belief. And I was just so calm in making that decision and that's why I was able to, to execute it. Can you describe in 25 words or less what it's like when you're standing there on the dais arm in arm with someone after winning a gold medal at the Olympics. And let's not forget, you know, the Olympics, I think if you go to the notes, they were first held 776 BC to 393 AD originally. And mostly Greek soldiers were involved, but anyone could take part. And it was the best of the best. And you're part of an elite club of people that reach the pinnacle of sport. What is it like when you've won a gold medal and the Aussie flag is being raised? I can only imagine. In fact, the hairs are standing on end at the moment. What a moment to celebrate with someone after years of blood, sweat and tears. Well, just listening to your question, I started to get all goosebumpy as well. And, you know, trying to feel how I felt when I was standing there with Natalie, I think proud is probably the the, the only word. You know, there are plenty of other beautiful words that we could add in there, but feeling proud, the proudest moment of my absolute life. And then feeling so connected and so together with Natalie, like we're sisters, we're not blood sisters, but we are far closer than that. We are sisters in life um, until the day we both leave this earth. We will always, always remember the journey that we spent together.